So our Lenten kind of theme of what we want to invite the Holy Spirit to help us do is to detach from anything that doesn't belong to God so that we can attach to what does belong to God and what God is actually giving us. And so with that in mind, I invite you to pray with me as we hear God's word. God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you now humbly, knowing that we are a people who are in need of both encouragement and correction, knowing that we are a people who um, can get lost in seeking your wisdom and confuse the things of this world with what you actually set before us as the way that we should go. And so as we hear this word from Paul to the church in Corinth, and as we consider the ways in which it applies still to us today, we pray that it will be your wisdom and not our foolishness that we leave here in awe of, encouraged by, and having set our hearts upon together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hear the word of the Lord from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 to 25. Sorry, I got the lighting is really weird because it's actually bright outside. <laughs> like right on the there. Hear the word of the Lord. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this sage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are, call, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. This is the word of the Lord. So the church in Corinth, for our context... Uh, is a community that's got a lot of issues among themselves. The church in Corinth is a community that's lacking unity of mind and purpose, according to Paul's words himself in verse 10, uh, before we read our passage today. Among other issues in their midst, they are, a group of, they are groups of people who have like-mindedness with one another, but weren't rising to the larger vision of God for their community. And so Paul in his letters are going, is going to be about trying to help them connect with that larger vision of God for their community. And he begins with the passage that we read today. He begins by pointing to the cross. 
He begins by saying the cross is the way to understand for Christians. The cross is the way to understand if you are in a relationship with God. If you are one of those people who is in a life-giving or a life-filled relationship with God, then you are one of those people who are being saved and understanding the power of God that is seen at the cross. The cross, it turns out, is God's perspective about the way things work. And isn't that the opposite of idea of how we would approach it from our perspective? To the Jew and to the Greek, Paul says, it's foolishness and it's a scandal. A scandal in the sense that this is not something to be talked about in polite company. This is one of those taboo subjects, the shame that is attached to a person dying on the cross is the sort of shame that's meant to have them die in silence, not to be remembered or discussed or live on in a community. Where is the power of God to those who don't understand who God is in the defeat of the cross? Where is the power of God to not win against our enemy? How does that make sense? To those who don't know God, it doesn't make sense. To those who know how the world works, it is not the plan that ought to be followed. Carla works as a a preacher and she had this great summary of what the time of at that time. The wisest people in the world would not have selected a Jewish peasant from a hillbilly town to die on a Roman cross for the world's sin. If we were to write this story, this is not the story that we would write. Because it's not the story that we want to be a part of. To see our hopes and our dreams dashed by the military mights of the empire. To ask and demand to see the power in a sign and only to have this man offer himself up in death. That is the message of the cross, that what would be common sense to us is not the way that God has chosen to be at work in the world. And we see this story and this pattern of being from God throughout the scriptures. Manna, only enough for today. Don't store it and keep it, but only eat enough for today because tomorrow God will provide more. Who would have blamed? Common sense tells you if you got it, store it. Right? Or do you remember that story of Gideon who had 32,000 soldiers and God keeps telling him to winnow down the number of people who he will use to fight against the Midianites? 32,000 ends up being 300. And God tells him to choose the soldiers that lap water like a dog when they drink instead of cupping it in their hand. Does that make sense? This is the way of God. To offend 
what makes sense to us. Or to take Abraham and Sarah and give them a son in their old age and promise to make generations of of people out of them and then to tell Abraham to sacrifice that son. Does that make sense? Because in that case, maybe Abraham was holding on to that promise more than he was holding on to God. Or what about the way that David, the youngest son, who's not even considered as a candidate by his family to be king, is the one whom God wants to anoint as the king of his people. The rules and the best practices of the time pointed to someone besides David, and yet David was the one that God wanted to lead his people. Or Moses, the man without a world, the man who was not Egyptian and was not Israelite, that God chose to be the agent of rescue from his people, for his people. Does it make sense to leave that work to a murderer like Moses? God offends us in our plans with his ways. Or the way that Nehemiah rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem with people who have no background in construction. Or the way that Esther goes before the king and is part of the salvation of the people of Israel. God continuously shows us that what we think is the wiser thing to do is foolishness to him because they're all things that we would do in our own power, and our own strength. And when we see the wisdom of God, we see that God's path is the risky path of faith and not the secure path that we build on our own. In terms of risks and securities, God is the one who calls us to take risk when we follow where he is leading. Without faith and trust, where would those stories of God and his people have ended? Martin Luther uh, grappled heavily with these kinds of questions when he was trying to make sense of his place and what had become of religion at his time during the Reformation. And he spent a lot of time talking about something called the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. Just thinking about those two words, cross and glory, which one are we more attracted to? Glory! Right? Glory, glory, hallelujah! But when he's using that term, he's talking about the ways in which we seek glory by what we've seen in the world to work. The use of human reason and human ability. And that the theology of the cross is different than that. The theology of glory is expecting God to work the same way that we see things in the world to work. It's starting in the wrong place. And just like Paul is doing in this text, trying to draw the vision of God's people to start with God instead of our situation, theology of the cross is to seek God where he might be hidden. To wonder 
at the mask that is keeping us from seeing what, it, what could be so. To consider the foolish way, the humble way, the shameful way. To take the step after where we have been led by our common sense into the place of faith. And it is foolish. Paul, as a preacher, says, God decides to use this act of people talking about his word from the front of a group as the way in which he spreads this message. And how foolish is that to leave it to, the, to people talking about him to spread that? How foolish. And yet that is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that keeps us reliant on him. The wisdom of God that keeps us in relationship with him. The wisdom of God that has taught us that we cannot do it on our own. Because isn't that the core of the message of the cross itself? That we could not earn our salvation on our own, but needed Jesus. Needed God to do it. That the cross is this new lens that we see not only ourselves and not only God, but the way of God. God's ways are not ones that are normally esteemed by humanity. And to understand what God is about in situations that we encounter in our life, requires faith and requires trust. Requires us to consider the ways in which we are offended by God and the way he is at work. The ways in which we want to cling to the wisdom of what we know so that we can repent. Because the wisest plan that we have, Paul says, is foolishness compared to God's ideas of what can be. The definition of wisdom is that you understand the way things work, the way the world works. And so it does make sense for us to say that there truly is wisdom of the world. Because there are clear things that point to, if you want to be successful in this world, you got to follow But there's also the wisdom of God, which often is diametrically opposed to the patterns and practices of this world. Because if they were not, we could do it on our own. So the wisdom of God is to entrust to us this work of faith and obedience. And to see that perhaps the road that looks like it's failure is actually the road of God. So that, as Paul will later say, anyone who boasts, boasts in the provision, the guidance, the goodness of God. So that... When we look back and see what has happened, 
we say together, praise God from whom these blessings have flowed. We could not have done that on our own, but by the power that has been made known of God and the experience of our weakness, of the things that we did not know we could do, but what we try to do in faith to him, we see the power and experience the real knowledge of who our God is. Amen? Let's pray together. I'm going to use a prayer that's in your worship folders that you're invited to pray again uh, throughout this week. Lord Jesus, we are your people, mostly privileged, competent, entitled. Your people who make futures for ourselves, who seize opportunities, get the job done, and move on. In our self-confidence, we expect little beyond our productivity We wait little for that which lies beyond us and then settle with ourselves at the center. And you, you in the midst of our privilege, our competence, our entitlement, you utter large, deep oaths beyond our imagined futures. You say, fear not, I am with you. You say nothing shall separate us. You say something of new heaven and new earth. You say you are mine. I have called you by name. You say my faithfulness will show concretely and will abide. And we find our privilege eroded by your purpose. Our competence shaken by your future. Our entitlement unsettled by your other children. So give us grace to hear your promises. Give us freedom to trust your promises. Give us patience to wait and humility to yield our dreamed future to your large purpose. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is your deep yes over our lives. And all God's people said, Amen.